I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod podcast. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. No Mr. Will Weir today because my mistake, I did tell him we're going to record before the game. Then I changed my mind and said, hey, let's record after the game. And he had work. So, Will, if you're listening, that's my bad, bro. I do apologize. But you could catch Will on Friday. Will's the man. We're going to miss him. But we do have a pinch hitter with us today. We've got Mr. Tim Shields, part of Celtics Blog, former co-host of this podcast, also a co-host with me over on the Vitamin C Show. And if you watch the Celtics Pod live on YouTube or post after it's been recorded and uploaded on YouTube, you will know Tim's face from there too. Tim, my guy, what's going on, brother? Nothing much. Um, just kind of basking in that win from last night. Just an impressive comeback. And I mean, especially given everything that happened with Jalen Brown early on in the game. So just. Yeah, that was. Uh, you said it before we started recording. And in full disclosure, we got about five minutes into a recording and then I decided it wasn't going too well. So we restarted the recording. So we've had this very early part of this discussion. This oh, yeah. Is the third time, maybe. Really good uh, this know, time around. Take three. We're recording quite early in the day, Tim. I've been busy. I haven't had as much coffee as I'd like. So, you know, you're just going to have to bear with us a little bit. Yeah, I feel like uh, as we spoke about literally seven minutes ago, the Jalen Brown going down after like four minutes of gameplay was a potential turning point. It was the guys on the floor. You have to figure out how to how your offense is going to flow without JB. But more importantly, you have to overcome the concern you have for your teammate. And look, we've seen this happen with a few different players over the years. Gordon Hayward comes to mind. You've had lesser injuries where guys have gone down and had to leave the court and not come back for the rest of the game. And you're always going to have that. I hope he's okay in the back of your mind. Right. But and you saw that it kind of bled into the first quarter a little bit. There was a little bit of deflation because JB had started hot. He was taking guys off the dribble, some nice step backs, some nice crossovers. So to lose that offensive threat really hurt. And then you have to kind of spend the next six to 10 minutes trying to figure out where your offense is going to come from and how your offense is going to look for the rest of the game. I think the Celtics did really well in adjusting, but let's not let's not lie. This was a it was an ugly first half of basketball. Yeah, and I, I guess given the circumstances, I'm not surprised, you know, like in terms of like the mental toll of just trying to be like, all right, well, we had an entire game plan based around having our one of our top two offensive guys on the floor. And now we have to figure out, okay, how is Atlanta going to try and counter this? You know, we, we're going to have to figure out different ways to get Jason Tatum open. We're going to have to figure out ways to keep the ball moving. Like they're going to change the way that they're defending because we don't have that offensive gravity of Jalen Brown on the floor. So it was interesting to kind of see how Boston was going to navigate that situation. It wasn't, it was a game where they could have easily folded. I, I feel like Atlanta's always given them issues, especially because they're just such a good three point shooting team. They're really hard to keep pace with. Um, by the time the first half, you know, wrapped up, it was a 61 point, uh, 61 to 55 game. Atlanta dropping 61 points, any team dropping 61 points in the first half. Um, that's really damn good offensively. Um, but it was the second half defense that won for the Celtics, and it was impressive. They held Atlanta only to 33 points. Um, I want to say it was 13 in the third quarter and 20 in the fourth. Um, they just manhandled them, and it was a completely different level of physicality, and I think it's something that they've kind of lacked over the past few games consistently. So to get back to that against a team like Atlanta, given the circumstances, um, that was pretty damn impressive. 
Yeah, I mean, the one thing to remember as well is in after the last game, after the Indiana game, Udoka kind of mentioned that, hey, we tried to aim to hold teams to 20 points or less per quarter. That's what we're looking to do as a defensive unit. It's a good defensive performance if in that quarter they've scored 20 or less. So to say they scored 13 in one roughly, 20 in another, you've done your job. Gentlemen, we have achieved our goal. Let's go play some basketball, to quote Mr. Coach Carter, um, which I do considerable amounts of time. When it comes to the Hawks, and I've been kind of harping on about this in my writing and in my podcasting recently, roster construction, I'm really big on finding balance. I've been watching a lot of uh, of Cobra Kai, so balance has been key <laughs> to my thought process recently. Um, <laughs> I've rewatched the whole thing. But when you're looking at roster balance, I'd much rather a team be like 8th in offense and 10th in defense or 10th in offense and 8th in defense than have one that's an elite offensive team and absolutely atrocious defensively, like the Atlanta Hawks are at the moment, first in three-point percentage, 25th in defensive rating. And then if we look at their offense, they're second in offensive rating. So they're one of the best offensive teams, one of the worst defensive teams. There's a clear-cut problem. You know what I mean? You can put points up core. You can't stop points from getting put up against you. It's the same issues that the Charlotte Hornets I've been trying to figure out all year and, you know, very similar. You can get points on the board, but you can't really do nothing about it. Boston are the other way, you know, they're 17th in offense, but they're second in defense. You can stop people scoring, but you really can't put much up, can you? You're struggling yourself to score. Poor roster construction on both sides, but I feel it's far easier to add shooters and fix that offense for Boston than it is to find defensive linchpins for Atlanta. And what you saw was, what we've been seeing from Boston throughout most of their run recently, the Celtics just hunkered down on defense and turned it into offense. You know, they were get multiple turnovers, forcing turnovers, getting offense off those turnovers. On offense, they were drawing a bunch of fouls, just trying to really bang up the Hawks, get physical. And and at that point, it's kind of just like, yo, Atlanta, you do you, because you're, we know you're going to score the ball, but we know you're not going to stop us and we know we can at least lock you down enough possessions to kill this deficit. So I think in the first quarter, the first half, it was very much an adjustment period, figuring out where your offense is going to come from without JT on the floor. Who's going to have the ball in their hands? What type of hierarchy are we going to implement? Like if no JT on the floor and Jason Brown's injured, who is your number one scorer at that point? Who should it be? Where, how are we going to get them the ball? And I think that took a little bit of an adjustment form. And once they'd figured that out, and then obviously Tatum came into the third hot, uh, and then he stayed hot for the rest of the game. And then Derek White decided that Super Saiyan level two was necessary to win this game. And he went Super Saiyan level two. It was a, it was a definitely a good game in the second half. But the first one to me was just a feeling out process and just figuring out who is going to be the guy when Tatum isn't on the floor. Yeah, and I also think their three-point shooting overall, especially lately, is kind of tapered off a bit. So in order for Boston to try and find that offensive consistency, it does kind of start with their defense, right? So like they need to be able to create turnovers and capitalize on those. They need to be able to get stops, get those boards, and then you know push and transition in order to try and make it easier. And granted, like I know that Atlanta is not a good defensive team, but they've still got some guys inside that you have to worry about. Guys like Clint Capella, like he's a physical presence and trying to go ahead and get a shot up against him can be difficult. So and Onyeka Onkongwu is another guy that you have to worry about too. So 
for Boston to get in there and try and establish some physicality in the second half, um, that was a big step in the right direction because I think that's something that they've been lacking. And I, I think this has happened a few times during the season, um, but there have been points in time where the Celtics haven't been able to establish any kind of consistent offense from deep specifically. And when they don't have that three ball, it's interesting to kind of see like, all right, well, if our shooting's not there, we need to rely on our defense and we need to be physical. And that means physical on both sides of the ball. We need to not hesitate to get into the paint. We need to draw contact. We need to attack. And like, they've been making a good point of doing that. I feel like, and that's really like what ended up help setting the tone for that second half. And it got Atlanta in foul trouble, like you said. So like, that's, that's the big thing. If your shot's not there, you, you cannot hesitate to get into the paint, to get physical, and to draw contact and to play through it and just just play like nitty-gritty basketball. And that's why Bogdanovich hurts Boston every time he plays against them because he embraces that style of play. I think that Bogdanovich is one of the better players in the Eastern Conference for finding shooting pockets. And if you can't find a shooting pocket, he's going to create one for himself. You'll see him. He'll put the ball on the floor, bump you, step back, wait for you to kind of react, and then just take an extra dribble in his inner shooting pocket for himself. And he, that's why he plays so successfully against Boston, because he embraces their style of defense and kind of leans into that physicality rather than showing away or allowing it to affect his game. Whereas the rest of the Hawks, they're a little bit more, uh, how can I word it? They're a little bit lighter. If you know what I mean, it's easy to knock Trey Young about. He, he's he's a slight guy. He's he's very skill based, very shifty, great fast twitch muscles. But once you start banging him up a little bit, he's gonna start thinking twice before going into the lane. And I know he's an excellent exceptional three point shooter, but Boston were doing a great job of switching Rob onto him, switching Al onto him, and making him have to shoot over solid 6 10 6 11 guys that and if you're trying to shoot over rob williams you don't just shoot over the frame you have to shoot shoot over the jumping ability it alters the shooting trajectory so i think that that physicality switch coupled with how they were switching on the perimeter really took trey out of the game for stretches really made him struggle you saw huerta get into foul trouble as well they were definitely going at huerta with tatum and white allowing them to drive at him knowing that he's not going to be able to stay in front of those guys it was very good matchup based basketball i think udoka got very good scouting reports on this game and new and look the hawks have gave boston trouble throughout the season clint capella as you said earlier is another guy that leans into that uh that physical type of play and he excels when the game gets physical but they've only got two guys that do that maybe three if you include deandre hunter they've only got two or three guys that can really play through contact and rise that rise above that contact whereas boston have eight or nine dudes that are going to literally hunker down and just be like, right, if you want to play physical, that's fine. We can play this gritty ball. This is your, because once you start playing that gritty basketball against the Celtics, what happens is you think that you're retaliating, but you're bringing what's happened. They've brought you down to their level. Now you're playing Boston Celtics basketball and that's where they want you. They want you trying to out muscle them. They want you trying to out hustle them because it's not going to happen. And that that's just the way it is. And I think that once the, once the, the Hawks kind of started playing into the Celtic style, that's when Derek White got hot, you know, had a massive explosion in the third, carried it on in the fourth. That's when Tatum was like, right, then I'm going to drop 10 points this quarter, but I'm barely going to do anything other than get to the free throw line. It was just very easy for the Celtics to start manipulating things because 
Trey Young was scared to drive and they'd also figured out, hey, you're not really going to have much success shooting over Rob Williams, so we're going to switch Rob onto you all the time. Huerta, Huerta, you know, he'll get hot for a minute, then he'll go cold. It was, a, I, I really enjoyed it. I think that that second half of basketball was um, fantastic adjustments from Udoka and that the, they, the Celtics won the mental game at the very beginning of that third and just kind of rode it out throughout. Yeah, and I think this is one of those games where you're going to look back at is like a potential like down the stretch of like is is this Celtics team capable of doing this against opponents who are like offensive juggernauts like does this make you feel better moving into the playoffs getting on later into the season against you know good opponents who are capable of shooting the three like are you going to be able to do this consistently and I think this is like a good indication that they can do that. Like, as you talked about before, when it comes to physicality, like the Celtics are one of the best teams and they need to play physical. But getting other teams to like be like, all right, well, like, yeah, we'll go down, like, we'll go down low. We'll try and like get inside and see how that works. And it's like perfect because now the refs are going to go ahead and call it physicality like that. And if they're going to go and call it that way, then we can play like that too. And we'll do it better than you because that is literally our brand of basketball. So Boston being able to get into their defensive presence and to establish that kind of physicality consistently is how they're going to win games. And that's honestly what it's going to be like in the playoffs. I want to say it was Ime Doko who talked about um, physical play, specifically being like, this is what we're going to see in playoff basketball. You're going to see this level of physicality. So like this game was a good reminder of that, um, a good warm up for that. And he's, Talked about physicality in probably his last, I want to say last three or last four um, post-game pressers. It's like been a consistent thread recently. I don't know if this is saying that the team needs that physicality more or if he's really trying to like get that message home to the players. Um, it's been something Marcus Smart talked about it in his post-game presser saying that at halftime against the Hawks, um, Ime Odoka said, hey, we need to get physical. We need to we need to keep up this physicality. We're lacking it right now. We need to bring it to them. So it, it, I wonder if that's really like what's been missing as of late because it does feel like the Celtics defense up until this point, they were struggling to hold teams to 20 or less in a quarter. I think they'd gone probably 10 or 12 quarters straight without holding players under 20 points. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, you come into the all-star break, you've just lost against the Pistons, you come back and then the defense is always going to take time to to get back to that level. You've had a week off. You don't just pick up at an elite level after a week of not playing. It's just, it's not possible. You know what I mean? If you're a runner, if you go running every day, and I'm not saying that anyone listening is an elite runner or isn't an elite runner, there's, there's levels. But no matter what level you're at, if you don't run for a week, and then you go for a run, you're not doing the same times that you did the week prior. You're not doing eight-minute miles, nine-minute miles. You're not running for 45 minutes without taking a break. That week, you will be like, yo, it took me a 10-minute mile. Or, man, I was I, I was doing 45 minutes before I needed a breather. Now I've, now I've only done 35. I've lost 10 minutes of, of cardiovascular activity because your body alters. It's the same when it comes to playing at an elite level. A week off means that that level has had to decline. You're not as locked in. You're not in rhythm. Rhythm is one of the most under-discussed, under-appreciated factors of any sport anywhere. And it doesn't even need to be sport if you're a writer. If I don't write for two days, my rhythm's gone. 
I, I resort back to what like lots of and ifs buts ors words i don't really my vocabulary shrinks rhythm is what keeps everybody going it, it really it liberates you in so many aspects a week off that rhythm's gone you liberate you have to start going back to the drawing board and figuring out what made you successful how you got to that level in the first place and how you get back there and figuring out that physicality as you said was something that made them super successful boston were playing physical before that loss to um detroit and look man when you're playing beast Drew, you don't want to get physical we saw lebron got physical with beast Drew. dnn were for lebron i don't want to get physical beast Drew, a big dude i want him on, i want him on the celtics i don't want him going against the celtics but at the same time jokes aside they did up their physicality in the second half of that game they did start to bang guys up a little bit they were closing kind of closing the doors you know what i mean you've got al you've got rob these guys are kind of closing driving lanes people are switching and you're embracing contact in the offensive end as well you've got Derek white just driving at huerta driving and driving relentlessly just having him man like this dude could not cope foul foul give it to tatum tatum euro steps in front of someone foul oh now we're gonna veer step foul and it was just we embraced the contact on both ends of the floor and all of a sudden the tide start to turn but it does take time to get back to that elite level after a week-long break that's why when the season starts after you've had multiple 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 weeks and dudes have been you know they've been enjoying the cocktails they've been on the sun they've been in the club you know, wherever they've been, maybe they've done too much swimming in the ocean. I don't know what they've been doing. I want to live that <laughs> life, but I don't. But that's why the season starts off scrappy the way it does. And the turnovers are up and guys are missing shots that they'll be sinking in six weeks time because there is no rhythm. And this yeah. is the rhythm of the night. I was getting, you're getting like really philosophical with the rhythm, like the rhythm of life. Like it's very delicate. <laughs> um, Honestly, I think it's so under discussed. It's under. I mean, it. I wish that there was a metric to actually kind of like talk about rhythm, especially in terms of game flow. And speaking of game flow, I feel like there was a massive turning point in the fourth quarter. And, and like, to be clear, like for the Celtics to get back into this game, it wasn't even just a matter of, you know, getting it to it within, you know, 10 digits or cutting it to, you know, getting it to a tie game. Like this is a team in Atlanta that you need to get some breathing room against. And they found it late in the game, specifically with that block um, by Marcus Smart. I want to say it was on DeAndre Hunter. So the Celtics in the first half had nine turnovers, and I think they finished the game with 11. So they only had like two second-half turnovers. And they had a turnover. They were getting back in transition. And Marcus Smart saw the opportunity to get a stop there. Grant Williams was there to... Um, slow down the shot. Jason Tatum made some defensive plays there in order to force, I want to say it was Trey Young to pass the ball. And Marcus Mark comes up and makes a crucial stop, a crucial, crucial block on DeAndre Hunter. They get the ball back. They bring it back in transition. Grant Williams, three, boom. Next possession, they get a stop. They bring it back. Grant Williams again, boom, big three. And so all of a sudden, the points stretched to 10. I think that's when they got a 10-point lead. And that's basically when Boston managed to seal that game away. Um, it, it was like impressive to see because, you know, you've got Marcus Smart out there. And for him to go ahead and make those kind of plays, like that's what you want him to be able to do for you and to consistently give you that kind of edge. And in that kind of moment, like that's just so reminiscent of what happened against Toronto. And... Again, like I think this is why Boston sort of went out and got Derek White, so you could have another guard who can do this for you. And 
this is probably one of the best defensive units I've seen from the Celtics in years. Like, I don't think there's, I, I mean, obviously like Peyton Pritchard because of his size, like isn't a best defensive piece, but again, like we talk he's capable, about, defense. yeah, he's capable. He's not and like he's getting the most important part is he's willing. He's willing. And I don't think he's you can say that for everyone all the time, but this, this team's going to be a defensive first identity. We've already seen that before and it's what's carried them in the streak. It's gotten them to where they are in the season right now, being able to climb up the standings like tooth and nail. But I, it, it's interesting to see how they're going to defend going on because there's a lot of teams you're going to have to worry about in the playoffs in terms of defending. Yeah, I think the only thing is I'm, I'm confident in their defense. I'm going to be honest. Mm. I think that when they're, when they're clicking, they are arguably the best defensive team in the NBA. I don't, and when I say arguably, I think maybe you could put the Warriors in there when Draymond's healthy. The Cavs could probably be in that discussion. The Suns are a really good defensive team, and I think the Heat, when healthy, are a really good defensive team. So it's arguable, but I think that Boston are marginally better than each of those teams for specific reasons. But the problem for me is you still need to address the shooting. I get, oh, well, we're going to ride with our defense, and come what may we can always rely on setting the tone defensively. That's cool. But guess what? Great defense doesn't always stop great offense. And teams that have elite shooters will still smoke you because that's the way the NBA is. You know what I mean? So you need to figure this out. And part of me feels like when you're looking at what Brad Stevens done since the trade deadline, right? Brad Stevens converted Sam Hauser. He converted Luke Cornett. Two guys that can shoot the free ball. Hauser being the better of the two, evidently. I genuinely think Hauser's probably the best shooter on the court, on, on the team now, behind Peyton Pritchard in terms of who's not a star. You know, so let's yeah. remove Jalen and Jason clean after discussion before I start having people throw tomatoes at me. <laughs> um, you know, when it comes to role players, I think Hauser's the best shooting role player next to Pritchard. Those two are probably, probably goes Pritchard than Hauser, to be fair. But what happens is I'm like, is Brad Stevens kind of haunted by the ghost of Max Struess? Like, you know, he never made the decision to waive Struess. That was an Ainge decision. Struess goes over to Miami on a 10-day, earns a two-way. From a two-way, earns a four-time contract. Now he's a genuine shooter in the league. So what do you do? You go and get Matt Ryan. You put Matt Ryan in that position. And you're like, right, there's our two-way guy now. He's a shooter. But what we've also done is converted a two-way guy that's a shooter into a full-time contract. Cool. But threes aren't falling, and we're not seeing the guy you've converted into a full-time contract. I get it. He's a defensive liability. But I do think you need to start figuring out what shooters you have and which ones are reliable. Pritchard shooting over 40% since since coming back off the All-Star break. We know he's reliable. Fantastic. Great. We have... One dude off the bench that can hit three. Two, if you want to include Grant Williams, if he hasn't had to start because you've sat Horford or whatever. So now does Tatum, Brown, Pritchard, Williams. You've got four legitimate high-level three-point shooters. But Tatum and Brown have so much stuff on their shoulders. They need outlets. So now you only have two. You know what I'm saying? You have Pritchard, you have Williams. Having one more, which was sp- supposed to be Neesmith, but Neesmith's just having an identity crisis at the moment. That's completely fine. We were talking this way about Grant Williams last season. You know what I mean? I think everybody needs to remember that. Everybody was, Grant Williams was going through the same struggles that Neesmith is going through right now. So I'm remaining patient with Neesmith. But what I will say, and you can hear a phone ringing in the background, I do apologize. What I will say is 
Give Hazard some minutes, just five, six minutes against against start, not starting, but rotational level talent. Don't put him in at garbage time because you can't really ascertain anything there. You know what I mean? He's trying to defend guys that aren't getting minutes on another team. How, what does that teach you? Yeah. You need, you need to be putting him in against second units and being like, right, he's getting cooked by this type of player. So we know if we come up against a team with a really athletic wing, Hauser's going to get smoked. But if we come up against a team that's got a catch and shoot guy, Hauser's holding his own. And you start finding out what situations you can start bringing him along in. Because I do think the lack of three-point shooting is uh, going to be a big issue. And we're going to see that. I personally think it's going to be one of the biggest issues when they face the Grizzlies tomorrow. Yeah, and the Grizzlies are a team that scares you, especially when you talk about John Morant in the stretch of play that he's had. You know, he's inserted himself in the MVP conversation. And the Grizzlies, another team that has just built organically, drafted right. They've got plenty of three-point shooting. They've got a lot of athleticism. They've got really good defense, too. And they're a team that is going to be a matchup problem. Like, they're one of the best teams in the league right now. And it's crazy because, like, you know, they they kind of just came out of the woodwork, but they've been doing this, like, patiently, building right, drafting right. And I think that's that's where some of the draft issues that the Celtics have had, like, they really loom large, especially when you look at the three-point shooting right now. You need Aaron Neesmith to figure it out. You need him to figure it out. I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know if it's going to take a whole off season with a shooting coach to get that stroke right but you need him to be able to hit from three because if he's not able to, then what else is he bringing? Is he bringing energy and defense? Okay. That's good. You can, you can get anybody to do that for you. You can go ahead and get a vet minimum guy to bring you defense. You need someone who's a three point specialist. And it was interesting that you brought up Struess, especially when it talks about Hauser, like maybe you just need to be a little bit more patient with some of these two way guys. If they're like a specialist position, like right now you need three point shooters. And if, if Hauser's a defensive liability, then so be it. You just need to figure out where you're going to put him in. Like, even if it's just, you know, spot minutes here or there where you need like, hey, we need you to go out and just like, just hit threes. Like, we'll figure everything else out after. Just go in there, hit some threes, get into a rhythm. Because once you get someone into the offense and capable of shooting and they're confident, then you figure out the rest after that because this is a very good defensive unit. Like, we've seen them put out guys who aren't good defenders. Like, we entertained Ennis Cantor for how many seasons here now? And they had to try and change their entire defensive scheme in order to keep him out there. To to try and sub in a wing like Hauser, like, I, I don't think it should be that much of an issue. And I don't know if it's just a matter of you don't want to mess with what you got. Like... But judging, like, you look at Neesmith right now, is Neesmith really locking guys up defensively? He really struggled to grab the concept of the, the switch everything system. You saw him getting put out of place a bunch during the early season. Again, I still believe in him. I think that we're just seeing him go through what Grant Williams went through last year. Oh, Plenty yeah. of time for improvements. Please don't think that I'm writing Neesmith off. I've got every faith that he can develop into a very good player. But if he's, not, if, if he's a defensive liability because he gets lost on switches, well, at least Hauser's going to hit freeze. Neesmith is really struggling right now. And I understand that he was a lottery pick, you know, 14th overall. And Hauser was undrafted. I get it. I understand. But if Hauser can come in and give you two to three bombs a night, like he hits two or three frees on six attempts, or he goes two for five even, or three for four on certain nights, that's more production than what Neesmith is giving you right now. And you have to... 
you have to lean into that because you need to fix your three-point shooting at the moment. It is a problem. JT, JB, Derek White, Marcus Smart, they're all driving and kicking, but it has to result in a couple of steps in because there's more mid-range shooters than there is three-point shooters right now. And I think that's why Pritchard has been such a big breath of fresh air since kind of getting a spot back in the rotation with considerable minutes. still need more i do want to give pritchard a lot of credit though flowers I mean, dude give him some flowers because I mean, he was yeah very nice bouquet but perhaps some daisies or petunias um he he ended up getting cut out of this rotation pretty early on in the season because they had dennis schroeder and i i do like the fact that like they went ahead and they moved on from josh richardson they moved on from dennis schroeder and specifically said this is going to open up minutes for guys like peyton pritchard and aaron neesmith like we trust those guys we want to give them minutes in the rotation and, and so far it took like a little bit of time after the deadline but like not too much longer after like you're seeing them get minutes now especially for neesmith for for a guy that young and not as in my opinion, not obviously as polished as Peyton Pritchard coming in the league. And part of that goes to the fact that Pritchard played four years in college. You, you get a more consistent effort out of Pritchard right now in terms of what he's giving you from behind the arc. But you're able to give these guys minutes now because you cleared up the bench. But at the same time, you lost a little bit of shooting with Josh Richardson. And you're hoping that you can get that kind of effort out of Derek White. And he's been struggling from three. And that's an issue. I mean, he just had his Celtics career high against the Hawks. Um, he didn't shoot fantastic from three that game, but a lot of it came from attacking, slashing, getting into that mid-range, as you said. He but, took what to clean us. Yeah, took him to church. Took him to pr- everywhere, dude. Took him everywhere. <laughs> took him on vacation. That's where he took him because he had an trip. early sit down. Yeah, he wasn't just hurt. He took a load of people on um, on vacation. A few people ended up with brochures. <laughs> but like um he like Derek White was fantastic. Let let's give him credit. His three point shooting wasn't great, but we knew that we knew that wasn't going to be what he provided. You know, Jana Brown goes down, Aaron Neesmith is kind of the guy that absorbs a share of those minutes. I would have preferred once you realized the shooting weren't going on. You know, he had a few shots early, it weren't falling. Sure he was grabbing boards, but someone else would have kind of stepped up there anyway. Yeah. Like Put Hauser in, man. Let's just see. If it doesn't work, fine. Sit him again. It's you're losing, you're down in the first half anyway. Like, I get it. You're trying to come back, but you're going to come back quicker if you can hit freeze. You've got yeah. a guy there that can hit freeze. Mm. Let's see what happens. I, I'm curious to see how they approach this Memphis game because that's a different level of test. And I think the Grizzlies are a hell of a team right now. Yeah. And I think they're a much more well rounded team than Atlanta. And that's really yeah. like the biggest thing is like when you talked about balance, like preferring balance over, you know, one skill set being vastly better. Like the Grizzlies are very well balanced and they're fortunately, like unless you make it really, really far all the way to the finals, um, you're not going to have to face this team in the playoffs. And I don't envy the team that has to. The Grizzlies, but, sorry, fourth in offense, eighth in defense. That's balance. That Mr. Is, Miyagi that is the would definition be proud. of balance. Mr. The Miyagi definition. is proud. Wow. 
Um, so uh, sweep the leg. Um, so I, I think for Boston right now, going into that matchup, I think taking away some of the stuff that you've learned from Atlanta, from what you've learned from the Pistons too, like you can't hesitate to establish that physicality, trying to keep pace with them. And just overall, like if the three ball's not falling, finding different ways to score and different ways to attack. I, I think what they've got to start doing is establishing that inside game early on and opening up their perimeter shots. Uh, I haven't been happy exactly with uh, Jason Tatum's three-point shooting as of late. He's t- he took a really high volume. I want to say it was against – oh, he was two for 12, I want to say, during that Pacers game, and that's tough. It's just I- I'm wondering how they're going to answer runs, and Atlanta gave them a good run for the money there for a, a point in time from deep. Like, how does this team respond on the offensive end if another team all of a sudden starts hitting them from deep? Like if they're able to drop threes in your head, like how are you responding? Are you trying to this keep pace saying, with threes? Right? You, yeah. yeah, like you have to to a certain degree. Like you know, at the end of the day, the Celtics are very much a rim pressure slashing team this year. Mm-hmm. So you stick to your game plan. You don't let threes being drained on you alter your approach. But at the same time, you need guys that are going to reliably hit those threes, and you have that in Grant Williams. You have that. In, in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you have that in Peyton Pritchard. But you'd like it in one more guy, considering that Tatum and Brown aren't really going to share the floor much throughout the game. It's only going to be in crunch time at the start of games. The rest of the time, they're staggered between each other. Considering Grant Williams isn't always going to be on the floor, Peyton Pritchard might have matchups that don't work. You do need one extra shooter. I'm going to leave it there, though. Anything more you want to add before we bounce? Mm, not really. Um, I guess by the time this drops, uh, we'll be right before the Grizzlies game, right? Are you dropping this today? Today? Today, today. All right. Well, you'll hear it before the Grizzlies game then. Wednesday? Uh, that's why we recorded. Yeah. This we recorded Wednesday. late, purposely, so we could talk about the game. Of course. Well, that's a good I'm thing. I'm stretching right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm stretching too. <laughs> you know, just so everyone can hear this because it really offended me. Mm. So I've been putting... Like if anybody doesn't follow me on Instagram, definitely do at Adam Taylor NBA. Um, I've been putting reels up of segments of podcasts that we do, and somebody commented and called me Samuel Tarly. <laughs> Jeez, do you know how offended I was, bro? Uh yeah, I can I can imagine why. Apparently, I look like Samuel Tarly. I think it's the beard, maybe. I'm not impressed. I know. I know you're not. Samuel Tarly was like five foot six. I'm six foot three. I look nothing like the dude. Yeah, that's I'm fair. Tatt- I'm tattooed literally from my shoulder all the way down. I'm literally covered in tattoos. How can I be Samuel? I was very offended. Obviously, I can imagine see that because I record in a hoodie so no one can see the tattoos. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's not it's the not, point. <laughs> yeah, it's not the point. I was offended. I just thought everybody else would like a laugh just at the end of the show. Anyway, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to, which of course you have, that's why you've made it to the end of the show. You scroll down, hit that five-star button, type, go down to where it says comment and say, Adam is amazing. Will is amazing. Greg is amazing. When Tim jumps on, Tim's amazing. You know, something nice. And I get it. Sometimes you don't want to leave nice reviews. If you're anything like me, you only leave a review when you're very dissatisfied. At which point, don't leave a review. Do this instead. Usually I throw this. I'm going to throw Tim to the dogs. Tim. You can explain to people how they can help grow this show without leaving a review.
by word of mouth how what ways can they do so send a telegram maybe a candy gram maybe go ahead and send a send a nice tweet out there share it to your friends on youtube facebook instagram perhaps you mention us on a random tiktok perhaps you plug us to your barber your dentist your lawyer your mother-in-law perhaps maybe she's a big celtics fan who knows um and share it with your family and loved ones i guess <laughs> and definitely definitely your cantaloupe salesman if you buy lots of cantaloupe he will probably be oh i got a, a sign of podcast yeah okay. i've got a cantaloupe guy <laughs> anybody everybody anyway everybody you will catch me again on friday and on friday we will be talking about the memphis grizzlies game <gasps> shock it will be another late recording so it will release later in the day i'm hoping that i'm going to reach out to him soon i'm hoping i can bring a buddy of mine on that covers the grizzlies um super dope guy i'm going to reach out to him as soon as i hit end on this and then we'll have a good time and if you pizza when you french fry it's not going to be a good time so make sure you french fry when you should french fry peace out everybody <laughs> cheers Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless, every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop